This is episode 637 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I visit with Scott Wilson of Gardner Scott. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you know you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only video, periodic webinars, and even online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. So for more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Guys, I have a great episode in store for you. And you know, when I say that, I'm not saying that because I'm able to, you know, interview someone really, you know, have, have the great interview questions or anything like that. I'm, I say that because the interview ease are great and they're bringing great information and this one is no different scott wilson from gardner scott the youtube channel the website uh, we have a great episode in store for you but right before we jump to it uh, let me just give you something that's time sensitive i've started a new course starting your own prepper website and it's going to be a signature course that i am going to charge uh you know a hundred plus dollars for it but I'm building it right now. And so those who are interested in it on getting in on the ground floor, I am offering it for $50 one time fee to get into it. And so that will include a one time 20 minute online consultation about your domain name and where you can go with that. It's going to include the video courses, setting up your website, writing articles, promotion, And it's also going to include three online group meetings, one time a month, where those of us that are in the course, where we can come together, we can talk, we can share ideas. And I'm even thinking about starting another group uh, other than just the online where we're we're meeting face-to-face through some kind of online chat. But we can do uh, some, some other type of group where we can leave messages and we can communicate that way as well. So I am working on that. And you know, if you don't want to start a preparedness website, but you have wanted to start a website and you are looking for some help and, you know, you're welcome to come along as well. You know, you get to share your your voice. You have a platform. You're not building on somebody else's platform. You're not just using Facebook and YouTube and, and all the other social medias. You have your own place where you can send people to and you can communicate with them there. The other thing of uh, about this is that you can earn money. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get rich and you're going to be able to quit your job, but you can make money that will help you in your preparedness. And I've always talked about that as far as, you know, proper website helping my family get better prepared because I didn't have to take money out of our own family budget to be able to prep and to get the gear and different things like that, that, uh, that I have done over the years to prepare my family. So if you're interested, I have a link in the show notes with a form that you can leave me your information and I will get back to you. I need you to do this very quickly because I'm looking to start really soon. 
And if you want to get in on the ground floor, like I said, $50 one time, uh, one time fee and you are in for this video course and uh, you, you can have your own preparedness website. Uh, you can start your own preparedness website and start influencing other people out there and communicating with other people in the preparedness community. All right. So again, like I said, the link is going to be in the show notes. All right, so let me go ahead and jump into this interview with Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson is a master gardener. He is also, I didn't realize this, he's also a master food preserver. And that makes sense because if you are going to garden and you're going to have a lot of produce, you want to have a lot of, or you want to be able to save that and preserve that. And we talk a little bit about that. Uh, he mentions, the, mentions that uh, a little bit, but uh, we really talk about gardening and a lot about gardening and a lot of great tips and I was really excited to have him on. He's got a great YouTube channel. Um, he, he does a really great job with the videos. It's not just you know just the, that one shot. He puts a lot of effort into it. He provides a lot of great information and then just talking with him after the interview when when you know the microphone was turned off and all that all that good stuff. He's just an all-around good guy and so you're really going to enjoy this interview with Scott Wilson. Uh, if you're uh, an experienced gardener or even if you are starting from scratch, which I think right now everyone should be starting a garden if you haven't. So let's go ahead without further ado and jump into this interview with Scott Wilson of Gardener Scott. Hey, Scott, welcome to the Prepper website podcast. Hi, Todd. Great to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and especially how you started in gardening? Uh, well, I had a career in the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, and retired back in 2003. And at that point, I actually made a decision to retire and then start figuring out what I would do with, with my later years and stumbled across the Master Gardener program. I had gardened throughout the United States, as you might imagine, you know, moving in the Air Force, I'd start a garden just about the time it would start to be productive, we'd move. And so I, I found the Master Gardener program and uh, started the classes. It was a 14-week program and then 50 hours of volunteer on top of that. And I, I ended up spending the next five years just totally immersing myself in the Master Gardener program. I was volunteering up to 400 and 500 hours a year in teaching classes and just exposing others to gardening because I, I found out it was something I really liked to do and I was halfway good at it. But more importantly, it's one of those things that I think everybody should understand a little bit about. And then oh, about two years ago, I became quite serious about my YouTube channel, the Gardener Scott channel because I saw a lot of information out there that was just wrong or, or not suitable for every area. And in talking with, with the gardeners in my area, I live in Colorado, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstanding. And so that was really the catalyst for me to become very involved in gardening education and then expanding my gardens in the process. Well, first, let me say thank you for your service. Greatly appreciate that, uh, being part of the military. Uh, and then I, I did find you on YouTube. That was one of the things, you know, uh, that's how I found you. And I think it was um, 
it was a, a video on gardening or, or bringing in soil cheaply, right? And, and how right. to do it that way. And I uh, shared that out on my Saturday uh, prep email that I send out. And uh, it, was, it was very successful. There's a lot of people out there that or there was a lot of clicks to it. There's a lot of people out there that are wanting to know about gardening. In fact, when I do my surveys for my website and for the podcast, that's one of the, the, the things that comes up all the time is, hey, we want more information on gardening. And there's, uh, like you said, there's a lot of information out there and trying to distill it down to something that is useful where you're not sitting down watching two, three hours worth of, of, of videos just to get a little tidbit. I think that's important. So I asked you on because there's a lot of people that are interested in gardening. And now, especially with what's going on with uh, COVID-19 and uh, some of the things that, that I'm hearing as far as possible food disruptions, um, I know that uh, just talking with my brother the other day, he went to go find some garden seed and he couldn't find any. He was trying to just find, you know, stock up a little bit and find some, some different things and he couldn't find it. Everybody that uh, the normal places where he would go, I mean, he doesn't, he's not to the point where he's ordering uh, online or anything like that or from catalogs, but any, any place that he would normally go, it wasn't there. And so that was kind of eye opening for him. And I guess that's probably going to be very eye opening for a lot of other people. So there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast um, and that, that go to prepper website that are very experienced gardeners, but I also have a lot of new people as well that are being turned on to preparedness, especially because of all the, the craziness that's going on. And so before we even get into getting our hands dirty, when we talk about gardening, what kinds of things do we need to, uh, to be thinking about? What kind of pre-planning goes into gardening so that we don't who we don't make big mistakes, right? Sure. You know, there's a lot of, it's a, there's, there's some financial uh, responsibility that goes into it and we want to make sure we do it right. So can you help us out a little bit? What's some pre-planning that we should be doing? Sure. Sure. And that's a good point. Uh, I think everybody can become a gardener. And, and for me, gardening is different than just putting a seed in the ground and growing a seed. A gardener actually takes the time to learn about what the plant needs and how to go through the process to ultimately reach a successful harvest. And to get to that point, even though we all know that you have to put a seed in the ground and eventually it grows, it's different from me in Colorado compared to somebody in Virginia or Texas. And that's really one of the most important places to start, is to learn about your own area and the climate, because that's going to impact whether plants will grow or how successfully they'll grow. And so, literally, I will stand outside in my backyard before I start a garden for days just to observe the water, the sun, and all of the insects and the birds and the animals, and try to figure out where the best location for a garden is, because a garden should be in as much sun as possible. And so you can't just blindly pick a spot and put a seed in the ground and expect it to grow. You have to think about the world around you and the climate. And, and, and I'll bring this up a little bit later as we get further into some of the specifics about gardening. But in my area, <coughs> for example, I can't grow okra. And, and I did a video recently about my top 10 uh, favorite food plants. 
And I had a lot of comments from people saying okra should have been on the list. Well, in my climate, my season is so short and the, the weather is so dry, I just can't grow okra. Well, if you can grow okra in your garden and you move to Colorado and you try to grow okra, you just will never have success with it. So, so that's a big part. It's just understanding where you live. And then the next really big piece is soil. 80% of plant problems can be attributed to the soil. And this is an area I think very few gardeners, even experienced gardeners, really take the time to understand. Your soil needs to be healthy. Soil should be alive. It should have bacteria in it. It should have fungi in it. It should have lots of insects and earthworms crawling around. And one of the ways to do that is through organic material in the soil. And so that could be leaves, it could be grass, it could be aged manure, compost is the thing that everybody talks about, but it takes time to make compost. And so, you know, for just starting out, I encourage gardeners to get a soil test because it will tell you what kind of soil you have. I have a very al alkaline soil throughout my general region. And so, for example, one of the most common things that people are told to do to improve their soil is to add wood ash to the soil. And wood ash has a lot of potassium, which is a, a macronutrient that plants need. But wood ash also raises soil pH. And so I've got so many people that have come to me in my area that have said, my garden died and I don't understand why. And then when we trace back what they did, well, they ended, at, they ended up adding wood ash to their soil and they just increased the pH so high that, that the, the plants could not literally survive. And so that's, that's why I say start off by finding out about your soil. Find your pH, find how healthy your soil is, and then once you have that baseline, you can start doing the things you need to do to make your soil healthier and better, and ultimately your plants will be better. Well, perfect. So, okay, you, you said a couple of different things there. So let's talk a little bit about the soil test. When you say that, what are you, what are you meaning there? I mean, how do we do a soil test? And so um, I, I recommend having a professional laboratory do the soil test. And if you just Google soil test and then fill in where you live. So for me, I went online and, and did soil test Colorado and got... 15 or 20 laboratories in the state of Colorado that will do soil tests. And then you take samples. I've got a video on my website. Most of these places will also have a video or information to tell you how to take a soil sample. And you basically just dig it up from different areas of your yard, put it in a bag and, and send it to them. Many master gardener offices will actually allow you to drop off a soil sample at the Master Gardener office, which is usually connected with the county extension service, and they'll run the soil test. And then what you'll get back is it'll tell you how much nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium is in the soil. It'll tell you whether you've got clay soil or sandy soil. It'll tell you your levels of things like magnesium and sulfur. But most importantly, it'll tell you your pH. And that can give you the guideline to follow. So definitely recommend a professional test. You can go to the store and buy one of those 
cheap home tests and it'll give you a general idea but really for starting off because because I and I think you and I think most of your listeners are, are thinking about this as being a long-term activity where we can grow food for years and you really want to get that soil right from the beginning. Perfect. Now, what about some other resources? Are there any other resources as we're doing pre-planning? Uh, you said, you know, we, you looked at the sun and, you know, where the, the sun was hitting in your, in your backyard or area more and the water drain, drainage and all those kinds of things. Is there any resor- uh, resources that we can <coughs> use now that, uh, that might help us in our pre-planning? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, th- there's, there's sites like, like my YouTube channel. I have 150 videos. There are channels that are from all over the world. And so I recommend maybe trying to find somebody that is, is closer to your area so, for instance, um, Scott Head has a channel. It's called Black Gumbo, and he gardens in Zone Nine, Nine A. Okay. Well, the the plants that he can grow are totally different than the plants I can grow in Zone Five B. So, you might find someone like him that has a great library as well. I think he's got over two hundred videos that tell how to grow, and then there. Um, Roots and Refuge Farm is another one. Jess has hundreds of videos, and she, I want to say she's like um, in Georgia. I think she's somewhere in the South. So she's got a lot of great information on her channel with uh, that type of gardening. One of the most popular channels is MI Gardener. MI stands for Michigan. And so he's got a lot of great videos for how to grow things in Michigan. I try to do my videos more broadly based where I I give general information of why gardening works the way it does. And then I'll give general guidelines on how to garden. I don't do a lot of specific grow this plant because I know that the plants I grow are different than other areas. So, so I would seek out some of those types of sources. And again, a search of videos gardening, and then whatever your location is or whatever your zone is should lead you to a lot of that information. And then uh, go to your local cooperative extension office. They will have fact sheets that are specifically developed for your area to include plant recommendations uh, and companies, in in many cases, that you can work with. So I, I really suggest localizing. Try to get the information that's best for your area. By all means, listen to you know, a, a podcast like yours, which is general, and videos like mine that are general. But to really get the best information, talk to your neighbor. Talk to other gardeners in the area and really find out what works in your region. And then get the general guidance from others like us and, and blogs and books. That's, that's a good point. So yeah, uh, doing videos and, and really searching for those specific in your area or in your zone. Uh, that's, a, that's a great resource, a great point. Thanks for, for pointing that out to us. So talk to us a little bit about as we, we set up our gardens, um, the different types of gardens that, that we can have. Uh, I know, you know, people talk about container gardening. That's one that I recommend if you are trying to get started or maybe you're even in an apartment. Um, and you're trying to, you know, 
get into it and maybe even go go to Home Depot or Lowe's and and buy you know a five gallon tomato plant that's already started to where you can start reaping the benefits right away just to the, the, to get that in in your blood I guess right oh yeah but so you, you know there's there's container gardening there's raised bed gardening there's in the in the ground gardening can you talk to us a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages of uh, of those and in any that you want to add on to that oh sure sure uh, and and I think you raise an excellent point and that's that's usually what I recommend if people are just starting with gardening is to start small just start trying to grow a few plants you know preppers and homesteaders often have this vision where they're going to be growing acres and acres of plants I guarantee you, if you start off by trying to grow an acre of plants, you will have dismal failures. And so start off small. And that may mean this year, exactly as you said, go to Home Depot, get a five-gallon bucket, get a bag of potting soil, fill the bucket, and on that same trip, you, you get uh, a, a tomato plant or a pepper plant or you know, one of the plants that they'll sell in their garden center and you go home and you plop it in, that's a garden. One bucket with one plant is a garden. I, my daughter, when she was going through college, lived in an apartment like many of us do, and she did exactly that. She grew one tomato plant on the balcony of her apartment. And, it, you know, it didn't grow huge, but she was able to harvest a couple tomatoes later in the year. And that kind of got that bug started with her, where you realize if you can do it with one plant, then you can do it with two plants. And starting off small and then gradually building is a much better way of doing it. And so when you use a five gallon bucket, you can, you can also buy um, cloth containers, are really popular now, where they make fabric pots that might be 10 gallons. And, uh, those are really a nice option if you haven't figured out where you want your garden to be. Because like I said, I, I spend months trying to figure out where my bed should go, but I still want to grow. And so I'm in a brand new house with a brand new garden. And that's what I did last year is I got a bunch of buckets and I grew some tomatoes and some peppers and some herbs. <clears throat> and that enabled me to actually move the buckets around to find out where the best spots were for the sun and, and water, you know, cause you gotta think about the hose as well. Do you wanna drag a 200 foot hose or would you rather have a 50 foot hose? And you know, those are the kind of considerations. So container gardening is a great way to start. You can use big pots, just something that you can start and figure things out. And then once you figure things out, the thing that we're all most familiar with, I think, is in-ground garden beds. And that means you just dig out the grass, the weeds, whatever might be in that area, and then you dig it up and start your plants. Getting back to the soil, if you do that, one of the disadvantages is you, you have to add organic material. You usually have to add compost because in almost all cases, your soil is not going to be packed with nutrients. So it's a lot of work. <clears throat> you have to clear out the sod. You have to level the area maybe. You might have to pull out the rocks. You need to add the compost. 
But an in-ground area can be as big as you want it to be. You know, start with a little four foot by eight foot area, plant in the ground and grow whatever you want. Uh, I, in my area, because my soil is so poor, I use a lot of raised beds. <clears throat> and so one of the best advantages to raised beds is that you can bring in good soil right off the bat. And so it takes years to amend your soil. So if you're starting off with poor soil in the ground, every year you should be adding compost and you should be mulching with leaves and grass. And then you turn all that in at the end of the season and then the next year you add more compost and more leaves and more grass. And it takes years to get to the point that that soil is filled with nutrients to the point that you don't need fertilizer anymore. Well, in a raised bed, you can go ahead and buy or borrow good soil right off the bat and fill your raised bed with it. And so that's what I've done. I will have some in-ground beds that I'll continually amend, but I can start with those above-ground raised beds and get started with some really good soil. And another advantage I find to the raised beds is you can make them as high as you want. And so my beds are about 20 inches high, which is perfect for me to sit on the edge and garden without having to bend over and hurt my back. You know, those of us that are a little bit older, as we garden more and more, it hurts our body more and more. And so I really like raised beds just because you can modify uh, the height to make it easier for you. But another type of garden that I think a lot of gardeners forget about is a fruit garden. This last week I planted uh, eight fruit trees. It's gonna take about three years before I get my first fruit, maybe five years before I get a good harvest of fruit, and that's the biggest disadvantage. You've gotta have patience and wait for it. But now, after that, that harvest in five years, I can expect a harvest for 20 or 25 years after that with the tree just continuing to get bigger and produce more. And so consider fruit gardens. I've got currant bushes and gooseberry bushes. I've got grapes, I've got raspberries, I've got blackberries. And these are the kind of plants that take a lot of planning in the beginning because they're permanent. Once they're in place, they're going to be there for many, many years. But that also means you're gonna have many, many years of harvest. So. This year, you know, of course, I'll, I'll put in my peppers and my potatoes and my squash and my cucumber and my tomatoes, but I don't have to worry about the raspberries and blackberries and the fruit bushes and the fruit trees because they're in the ground. They'll be in that same spot forever. And all I have to do from here on forward is just wait for the harvest. So that can be some of the easiest gardening is, is putting in a, a plant like that. And that also holds true for perennial vegetables, plants like rhubarb and asparagus and sunchokes, and I, I just put in some horseradish. Those are the kind of plants that, again, come back year after year. So you can do those in raised beds or you can do those in in-ground beds, but I consider those as completely separate gardening ideas that anyone that's serious about a long-term food production should definitely add to their plan. A lot, of, a lot of great stuff there. And when we were talking about fruit trees and things like that, 
how, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I know when I was first starting out, I bought some, I bought a plum tree that uh, just because I was gung ho and put it in the ground. And like you said, didn't, I didn't do my research on it, realized I needed a male and a female for this one to, uh, to cross pollinate. So I don't get very many plums off of this one. And it's a nice tree. I've thought about maybe, you know, taking it down or, or whatever. I do have a, a peach tree that I do get. Uh, some smaller peaches. Um, the squirrels, though, they kill oh, me. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> is the the squirrels? Uh, they. Um, it, I tell a funny story. I I thought my neighbor, who uh, you know had some issues, was coming over and taking off my my peaches at one point because I I went out one day and I had tons of peaches, and the next day it was like you know, a third of them were gone. And then the next day there were, I mean, they devoured them very quickly. And I realized it was the squirrels because they would, I finally saw one on, on the side of the fence and they were eating it and they just took like one or two bites and then dropped it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, yeah. um, you know, I, this wasn't, this wasn't planned. I'm just bringing it up. But what do people do about that? You know, that you have all these critters coming around eating your food. Oh what yeah. Is, what is something that you, um, that you, you can do? Uh, so I, I, I've had the same problems. I had an apricot tree and apricots don't do well in my area because we always have a late spring freeze that just fries all the blossoms off the tree. But one year, really my first year, I had five apricots on that tree. I was so looking forward to it. I went out, I, I tested later in the summer and I thought, oh, these are almost perfect. Tomorrow, I'm going to come out and harvest these apricots. And the same as you. I came out the next day and all five were gone. Oh, wow. Because the animals know. The animals know when they're perfect. And so the first piece of advice that I give, just because I've lived through it, is if you have an animal problem, harvest early. Harvest before they reach the peak of perfection, and you're more likely to get the, the fruit. I have the same issue with grapes and trees where, I, you know, if you wait for them to be perfect, the birds are going to eat all the grapes. So harvest a little bit unripe. You're probably not going to notice much difference in the taste. I do a lot of jams and jellies and freezing, so it really doesn't matter if they're slightly unripe. But the other thing is to grow smaller trees. And so the reason you want to grow smaller trees either by, by buying a dwarf or a semi-dwarf fruit tree, but be, because you can keep it smaller, you can buy bird netting that is already like a 16 foot by 16 foot square or 20 foot by 20 foot square. And you can just throw that over the entire tree. And as long as the tree is small enough, that'll keep the, the squirrels out. It'll keep the birds out. And uh, that, that helps a lot. I also strongly encourage a dog. That's, that's what's benefited me is actually teaching the dog to run out to the garden. And so, you know, things like, where's the bunny <laughs> is the phrase. And so we've had labs for years. And so all we'd have to do is, is open the door and say, where's the bunny? And the dog is out for 45 minutes barking and rolling around and hanging out, and any squirrel activity that had just started is now disrupted by the, by the squirrel. 
And then the fourth point that I think is really helpful, particularly with squirrels, my brother-in-law does this and we had some neighbors that did it inadvertently, but I used it to my advantage, is set up a, a bird feeding station or more specifically a squirrel feeding station. And so what my brother-in-law does is he actually has a squirrel feeder on his fence. And, this, and he tries to keep it um, filled up as much as possible. And so the squirrels are spending so much time eating the peanuts and the seed from the, the, the squirrel feeder that they've got no time to actually go to the garden and try to dig up something or eat something or steal fruit off of the tree. That's good. That's uh, some good advice right there. All right, so let's let's move on. Let's talk about how to size a garden, uh, specifically to feed our family. I mean, is it reasonable to think that we can, uh, you know, I've, I've read plenty of articles. We put a lot of articles on Prepper website. But it, it, for those that are listening, is it reasonable to think that we can grow a lot of our vegetables, fruits and vegetables? How How big of a garden would we need to be able to do something like that? It is absolutely reasonable, and surprisingly, you don't need a big garden. And so by comparison, I, I was a, the head gardener at a, a local school. We had the, the biggest school garden in the state, and I would, I would garden in about uh, 50 raised beds, and the raised beds were four feet by eight feet. And so 50 beds in my really harsh Colorado climate, I'm at 7,000 foot elevation, we would harvest more than 2,000 pounds of produce every year Hmm. in 50 beds. And so a, a lot of people think they need a huge garden, but the average family does not go through 2,000 pounds of food in any given year. And so when you size it down, this gets back to one of the points you raised earlier about when you put your trees in. If you do your homework, do some research, if you start small, if you, if you start figuring out the basic lessons of how to grow plants, it is, I, I won't say it's easy, <coughs> but it's conceivable that you can grow 100 pounds of produce in one four-foot by eight-foot bed. And the way you do that, and it works better in warmer areas, of course, but you need to look at this as you're you're growing food for your family. You're not just going out and putting some tomato plants in the ground, and then you're going to grow tomatoes. And that's what I think a lot of gardeners do is they'll have a four-foot by eight-foot in-ground bed. They'll put three or four tomato plants there, and that's their whole garden for that space. And then they get whatever their tomatoes are. Well, there's a concept called succession planting. And so in the spring, you can grow plants like spinach and beets and turnips and radishes and chard. There's a a long list of the cool season plants that can actually handle some snow and freezing weather. So let's say you you live in a zone six, zone seven, (coughs) you can easily start putting those type of plants in in March or early April and get an entire harvest before the summer comes. And so, for instance, if you were to put beets in an entire four-foot by eight-foot bed, you'd be able to harvest about 60 pounds of beets. 
just from that one bed. Then you pull out all the beets when you're harvesting in May, and now it's time to put in cucumbers or squash or tomatoes in that same bed. And now over the course of the summer, you're growing your plants, and let, let's say you're growing uh, something like zucchini, which is very prolific. Well, in a four-foot by eight-foot bed, you can easily have four, maybe five zucchini plants. Each of those zucchini plants is going to give you more than 20 pounds of, of the fruit. And so, again, that same bed in the summer, you're going to get, let's say, 60 pounds of zucchini. You harvest the zucchini at the end of the summer. Now you start the process all over again, and you put in carrots, or you put in uh, another one of those cool season plants to take you into the fall. And in October or early November, you're harvesting another crop of 40 or 50 pounds of, of carrots and turnips. And so you can see that if you really take this seriously, you can grow a lot in just one bed. And it doesn't have to be the whole bed growing all those plants. There's, there's a book out there, Square Foot Gardening by Mel Bartholomew. And he takes it into uh, the concept where instead of looking at an entire bed, you break it down into to one square that's 12 inches on a side, a square foot. And then you put plants in a bed based on that. So now a four foot by eight foot bed might have one square with beets and one square with carrots and one square with chard and you can break it up however you want. That's called intensive planting. And if you do that, you can grow a whole bunch of food. He recommends in his book that you only need a four foot by four foot bed using succession planting for each member of your family. Wow. When you think about it from that perspective, where you're growing in three full seasons and you're choosing the plants to really maximize how many plants you can grow per square foot, it doesn't take much. And, and I usually recommend, if you're just starting off, a four-foot by eight-foot bed for each member of the family, and that should get you enough food to, to really modify your income and really help you out. And then to add to this briefly is the concept of preservation, because that's really what makes this all work. Because, you know, how long is it going to take you to eat 50 pounds of beets? And so you learn to pickle your beets, and you learn to freeze the beets, and you learn to, to dehydrate the beets. And this holds true with all of the, the rest of the plants that you're going to be growing. If you can learn how to preserve them, now you can carry your food harvest well into the winter and pretty much become self-sustaining if you do it right. Wow. Yeah, I'm familiar with the square foot gardening. Um, but I, I don't remember ever hearing that, you know, having a four, four by four, if you did it, uh, you know, purposefully, you would have uh, enough for your family. So, man, that, I need to go revisit that again. So that was a, that's a good point. A lot of great information, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate Thanks. all of this good stuff. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about zones and planting zones. Um, and I don't know, we, we could probably just hit this one really quickly, but sure. why do we need to know about zones? And then 
are we stuck? Because you were talking about being in one zone. I know being in, in the Houston, Texas area, I'm in another zone. So am I stuck forever not being able to grow something that I want because I'm stuck in this zone? Uh, well, that right there, I could talk for hours on. So, I'll <laughs> so there's a lot of misunderstandings about zones. And so the USDA has set out this, this system of zones and they're based on the lowest average yearly temperature. So it really comes down to how cold your winter is that determines your zone. And it's really only something to consider when you're talking about plants like trees and perennials and those that are going to come back every year because they have to survive over the winter. And so when it comes to the vegetable gardening and the harvesting, zones have absolutely no factor in your decisions at all. And I think that's a common misperception because most of the plants we're growing, we're only growing for the summer. We know that we're either going to harvest them or they're going to die in the winter. So the zone doesn't matter. What's more important is the last frost date. And so everybody that's growing should know what their last frost date is. And you can just go online and do a search of last frost date, enter your zip code, and sites will pop up to tell you what your last frost date is. And the reason this is important is because when I talked about those three succession times that you are putting plants in the ground, those are all based around that last frost date. And so you can put plants in the ground, some plants in the ground before your last frost date, and you should take advantage of that. The, the warm season plants like the tomatoes and the squash and the cucumbers and the okra and all of those, they should absolutely go in the ground after that last frost date. And then you have a full season of those plants and you can harvest. And then the next date you need to know is your first frost date. And this is the date that it comes in fall when you can expect that you're gonna have your first freeze. And so those two dates really determine how long your season is, and that's what determines the plants that you can grow. So you can grow watermelons because your season is long enough to grow a 100-day or 120-day watermelon. I can't do that. And so by defining how long your season is with the first frost date and the last frost date, you can pick out the seeds and you can pick out the plants that you know you'll have success with. And like me, I've got a really short season. So I know right off the bat not to try to grow some of those seeds that will take longer than that. Are those dates changing because of just the weather? You know, it's been, we've had seasons here in, in Houston where it's been really super hot and um, I don't know, has it changed over the years? It has. And so I think the, the last time the USDA modified their map, <clears throat> it was either 2011 or 2012. And based on a, like a 30 year window of climatological data. Well, my 5B zone is based on an average lowest temperature of minus 15 degrees. I haven't seen minus 15 degrees in the last 15 years. Mm. And so I fully anticipate that the next time the USDA modifies the list, 
that almost all of us are probably going to increase uh, in our zone. So I'm probably going to become a zone six. I'm already growing some plants as though I'm in a zone six. Okay. All right. Good point. So let's talk a little bit about some easy fruits and vegetables that we can uh, get started with and that uh, would be a little bit more forgiving for those who are starting out. Good question. And, you know, getting back to that basic concept of starting small or starting simple, I really encourage everybody to get the entire family involved when it comes time to, to put their plants in the ground. <clears throat> and one of the easiest that just can't be beat are radishes, especially for kids, because they're big seeds. You can put them in the soil, and in about a month, you're harvesting radishes. And I won't say they're foolproof, but it's really hard not to, to be able to grow and harvest radishes. And that early success, especially if you're just starting off, is really a great motivator. Because you put a seed in, you grew, you harvested, and you ate it. Now, if you don't like radishes, don't grow radishes. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that gets back to try to grow what you know you're going to eat. But you can, you can pickle your radishes. There are so many things to do with radishes. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, spinach is another one of those plants. And a lot of kids don't, or think they don't like spinach, but it's extremely easy to grow. It can be grown in almost every area of the country. And to eat it fresh is just incredible. It is so sweet. At the school garden, we used to have the kids grow a lot of spinach. And we had a little farmer's market that we would sell our produce at to raise funds for the garden. You would think you would never have to say this to a child, but I can't tell you the number of times that I had to say Quit eating the spinach <laughs> because they would start harvesting it and you know it'd be like one for the farmers market two for me one for the farmers market two for me so that's another great plant that is easy tastes great and and can really help change the mind of a lot of gardeners there's a lot of things we think we don't like to eat but when you grow them in the garden they're just so incredibly easy um, chard is one of those kind of plants, very easy to grow, very productive, and most people think they don't like chard until they start growing it for themselves. And those are really good early season plants. Cucumbers, when you start moving into the summer, you don't need to buy a cucumber start. Just take a seed and put it in the ground, and you're going to have cucumbers probably within 45 or 60 days. Very easy to grow. You're going to have cucumbers coming out your ears. Squash falls into that same category, especially zucchini. It does very well in warm areas. You know, you, you hear the jokes about the gardeners that will leave bags of, of zucchini on a neighbor's doorstep and then run away because they're, it, they're just so prolific that you run out of uses for them and you get tired of eating zucchini. And so I, I make zucchini bread every year and then just freeze it. And I'll have zucchini bread for breakfast for months to take advantage of, of the zucchini. Uh, I always encourage tomatoes. People think that tomatoes are hard to grow, but they can actually be pretty easy, depending on what variety you have. 
Uh, they, it does require that you get a plant and put it in the ground. You can't grow tomatoes from seed, even in our, our southern areas. But you put a plant in the ground, and if you get an in, indeterminate tomato, those are the vining ones that grow really long, you can literally harvest tomatoes every day of the summer going into the fall. And so those, those are some of my, my top plants that are, are, in my opinion, very easy to grow. Beans of all types should be grown. Peas earlier in the season should be grown. I just say get out and do it. And again, check with your neighbors and people in your area. Find out what they're growing, and you'll probably find a lot of information and suggestions of what they think is easy. Good. All right. Thank you. Thanks for that. So recently I shared, and I mentioned this earlier, I shared out a video on uh, finding garden soil on the cheap. So can you talk a little bit about uh, not necessarily finding garden soil, but the cost that we can incur starting a garden? And then what kind of cost are we talking about as far as upkeep? Because I can sure. see some people putting a lot of money into it and saying, this is not worth it. You know, let me just keep continue going to the grocery store and buying my fruits and vegetables there. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of money or kind of financial, uh, you know, thing that this is going to cost us? Sure. Now, it, it, can, it can ultimately be free. If you, if you have a, uh, an in-ground bed that you dig up, the only cost is labor. And then if you use the materials around you, like the leaves and the grass, you make your own compost, no cost. You put your kitchen scraps in there. I use my kitchen scraps for worms. I've got worm bins downstairs so I can have the worm castings that I can blend in with my soil. All of these things cost nothing. You can even have a raised bed. If you just get some logs, some small logs that you might have on your property, you can outline an area with the logs and then fill that in with, with soil to raise it off the ground. So that's one extreme where you do all the labor yourself. It takes time and patience it can ultimately cost nothing, especially if you're saving the seed, which I highly encourage saving your own seed. And so forever, you become self-sustaining without having to put out any, any additional cost. On the other extreme, and I talked, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit about this in that video that you saw, if you buy the wood to build a raised bed, a four foot by eight foot bed and ones that I like that are about two layers high, even using the basic cheap fur that you find at Lowe's or Home Depot, it's going to cost about $50 to build that bed. And then if you buy the bags of soil that they sell at, at uh, Lowe's and Home Depot, it, it can cost you as much as $300 to fill that bed. And so before you've even started, now you got to buy the plants and the seeds. And before anything goes in the ground, you've already spent $400 on a bed. So that's the other end of the spectrum. And I do some of that because I like to raise beds. I've got gophers, so I can put wire underneath my bed so the gophers can't get into them. So I need to, to garden raised beds. But you can, you can use all kinds of materials to build your beds. My brother and I tore down a deck a few years ago, and I saved all of that, that deck wood because 
Uh, it was aged treated wood. I don't have a problem using treated wood at all, especially if it's old. And I built a whole bunch of beds for nothing by just using reclaimed wood. And then when you fill the beds, what you saw on that video was in the bottom portion, you fill them with that organic material that you have around your yard, the, the branches. You can put weeds at the bottom of beds, the grass that you cut from your lawn, uh, any sawdust, wood chips, the bottom of the bed can be all that kind of material. And then you mix it all together, like, like the green grass with the dried leaves. And then you cover that with a good soil. <clears throat> and you can buy this in bulk. This is the approach I take. So I fill the bottom of the bed with material that's going to decompose. It's going to be food for earthworms. It's going to add long-term nutrition to my soil. And then I, I order a, duck tr a dump truck load of soil that's already got manure in it. It's already got compost in it. I can buy that for about $30 or $35 a yard delivered in my area. The costs vary, of course. There are a lot of communities that if you take your truck to the local um, compost center, they'll give you compost for free. A lot of cities do that. Either way, you fill the top half with really good soil. It doesn't need to cost $300 a bed to do that. And then as far as the costs moving into the future, you should be amending your soil every year with something. But I don't think you need to buy it. I think you can make it. And, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on how to compost because there's a lot of information out there. But you make your own compost, you work it into your soil at the end of the year, zero cost. I have to pay for water in my area, so water can be quite expensive. Uh, that's an, a recurring cost that I have. But once you buy the seeds of plants that you can save the seed from, now you've got no cost at all. And so it, it, there's a lot of upfront cost, especially if you have raised beds. But as far as the future, if you do it right, it's, it's almost nothing. Do you have any other tips on? Uh, keeping it on the cheap other than, I mean, you've given us a lot already, but any other things yeah. that, that uh, you might be able to share? Yeah, start small. Um, you know, if, if you want to start with 20 beds and you're going to build all beds in the same year, it's going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So instead, start with just one or two beds and then get to know your neighbors. You know, get to, get to know how to use Craigslist. And over the course of the next year, get all those materials that you're going to need and then add two or four beds to expand your garden. So the second year, <coughs> you're expanding with the material that you spent almost nothing for over the course of the previous year. And then start also figuring out the alternatives to how to garden. Do the in-ground beds in addition to the raised beds. And I really encourage people to check with your local library, your book library, because many libraries, mine does, they have a seed library as well, where people will donate seed to the library. So if you can find those kind of sources, you can get your seed for free. And then, you know, possibly join a garden club. I belong to my local garden club. And gardeners will share plants back and forth. So you don't need to go to Home Depot and buy your tomato plants. 
you just share some of your seeds with someone else who has started tomatoes in their basement and they'll give you the free plants in exchange for the seeds that you've been saving. So really try to develop a network of others that are doing the same type of thing. That'll definitely cut down on the cost. The tools, you can find some really good used tools that will last for years. And, and again, that's an upfront cost. But if you start with some good quality tools, now ultimately you're saving money over time because you don't have to replace that every year. And then fertilizers, that's a huge cost that a lot of people uh, spend their money on. And for the most part, you can end up making your own fertilizer by using the worm castings, by using compost. I grow a plant called comfrey that is really rich in a lot of micronutrients. And I just make a tea with my comfrey leaves and I'll fertilize my plants or fertilize my plants with that. So there are lots of ways that, that you can figure out how to do it yourself and, and save money at, at every step of the, of, of the process. It's good. Some good stuff. You know, one of the things that we always talk about in the preparedness community is finding other people like us. And that's always, that always comes up. And so we're always like, you got to go out and find them. Yeah. Preppers don't necessarily put up a flag and say, Hey, I'm a prepper, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's have some coffee. But so going to one of these gardening clubs and getting to know people there, uh, I've always said that gardening and firearms are kind of like gateway drugs into sure. prepare, yeah. the preparedness. Uh, but yeah. it's definitely people that would uh, that would have some of the same values as far as you know wanting to grow their own food and, and and different things like that. So that's a good point and something always to have in the back of our mind is uh, if we're looking to build relationships and trying to find people who Absolutely. are uh, looking looking to do things like us. Um, can we talk a little bit about how much time we should uh, be thinking about spending in our garden? I mean, am I going out there every hour, you know, an hour every morning before I got to go to spend? So now I got to get up early in the morning and go out there or do I, uh, you know, am I spending hours out there weeding and how much time can someone reasonably expect to be out there spending time in their garden? And, and so again, it gets back to what plants you grow, because if all you're doing is growing fruit trees, it's very little time at all. But if you're growing microgreens, you're going to be spending hours a day just to keep the microgreens alive if you've got a lot of them. And so another reason why I suggest starting small, because if you've only got one or two beds, you'll be able to figure out for yourself just how much time you need. I live in a really dry area, so I often have to water in the morning and later in the afternoon when, like, when the plants are very small. When I was at the, the garden, <coughs> at the school, we would spend three hours a day just watering by hand. Now, granted, we had 50 beds and fruit trees and a lot of other plants, and we had a greenhouse. And so that's going to be the thing that takes the most amount of time is watering. Uh, I would say whether you have an automatic system or not, you're going to probably spend at least 30 minutes every day focused on watering. And if you have a bigger garden, you can plan for that to be an hour a day. Just because you've got the hose, you've got your watering cans, whatever your system is, you've got to turn the system on, you've got to turn the system off, whatever. I like to hand water for one reason, 
is because I can check on my plants every single day. And as I'm watering, I will pull weeds. And so if you get the weeds before you, or before they get very big, it's, it's a couple minutes a day. But if you don't stay on top of your weeds, now, later in the summer, you will have days of labor dealing with the, with the weeds. <clears throat> so I build in 15 minutes every day that I'm just going to be plucking a little weed out of my beds as I'm watering. Then you have to consider trellising and pruning the plants, you know, keeping them in the beds, keeping them growing uh, in the direction you want them to grow. That might only be five or 10 minutes a day. You, you have to build in some of the activities like dealing with insects. If you see a bug on your plant that you know is eating your plant, take it off the plant right then. Don't wait until you have an infestation and say, oh, I wish I would have dealt with that before. So I'll, I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes at the same time usually that I'm weeding looking for insects. And there's some easy precautions. If you find aphids on your plants, just spray them with the water and that's gonna wash them off the aphids and that's a real good quick fix for aphids. And so right there, you're looking at probably for a halfway good size garden, let's say a, a four to eight bed garden, plan for an hour a day with the watering, the weeding, the insects, the, the trellising, all of those normal day-to-day -day activities. And then at harvest time, you need to add 30 minutes to that, assuming that you're growing the kind of plants that you're harvesting every single day, like cucumbers and tomatoes, even carrots you're gonna be harvesting every day because you wanna use them in the kitchen as fresh as they are. So uh, plan for an hour a day, minimum. If it's less than that, that gives you time to go in and watch a, a video on how to garden. I, I build that time in, in the morning, often in the evening, I'll build an hour a day. Even me, I've been gardening for decades. I teach gardening and I sp still spend an hour a day watching videos, reading blogs and learning more about gardening. Perfect, good, good, good advice there. And uh, helpful for us as, you know, especially those that are going into it and getting into the gardening uh, aspect of it, the, to be able to plan. So let's, uh, I have an apocalyptic question for you here. Sure. Let's say, um, let's say uh, things do go sideways. The poop hits the fan. Uh, people find that uh, there is some food disruption and they realize that I need to really take uh, gardening serious now. And so they start tearing up their, their uh, backyards. They, they say, forget, I don't care about the HOA. I'm gonna tear up my front yard and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get some stuff into the ground. Um, how should someone go about doing that? Let's, just, let's say they don't have all the other resources that um, they can't go to Home Depot, they can't you know, call the, uh, the, the local you know, soil place sure. and, and have them come deliver soil. Um, how, how should someone go about doing that if, if they had to do it in a, an apocalyptic scenario? Well, first off, don't wait. Do it now. Good point. Uh, you know, start start your, your first bed a day. Start learning it. Start expanding your garden. I've got half an acre where I'm at now, 
And one of the very first things I did was rip out my backyard and rip out my front yard. And luckily my HOA dissolved years ago, so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but what I did is I hired heavy, or I rented heavy machinery. So I got a bobcat, and for a day, I just scraped all the grass and the weeds and all the plants that were growing and pushed it off to the side to start fresh. And I, it took me decades to figure out that that's the way you should start a garden, is to just rip everything out and start from scratch. But you know, when the apocalypse comes, that's a good way to start is don't deal with the weeds. Don't deal with the, you know, the shovel. Just start big. Rip it all out. Now, assuming everybody is renting a bobcat and you can't find them, <coughs> what I'm doing in my front yard is taking cardboard and laying it on top of the grass. You don't need to dig out the grass. If you put cardboard on top of it, that cardboard is, is as effective or maybe even more effective than weed fabric at killing the grass. And then you just start heaping the soil on top of that. And as you're heaping the soil on top of the, the cardboard, you're adding leaves and you're adding all of the grass that you cut down before you covered it up. And this is a, this is a concept called lasagna gardening, where you basically just take everything you have that's organic and throw it on top of cardboard mixed with some of your native soil and you've created a, a garden in that space. Uh, it, it's going to take a lot of time, so don't expect that you can start a garden in your front yard and your backyard at the same time from scratch within just a couple days. It's a lot of work. But uh, some of those methods where through lasagna gardening, starting from scratch, uh, I, I put raised beds on top of my soil because after I had a soil test done, I realized my soil is very poor in nutrients, so I was going to start with the bulk soil. You can start in poor soil. You're going to get poor results, but by growing plants in poor soil, at least you're now getting some organic material that you can create compost with and that you can use as mulch to expand your garden as you move forward. But my perspective, and, and I've actually mentioned, this is my zombie apocalypse philosophy. I've mentioned this in some of my videos. I think gardeners are gonna save the planet when the apocalypse comes because we know how to grow our food. And so back to my first point, start today. Start learning how to grow your own plants and your, grow, your own food so that when the apocalypse comes, you don't have to worry about ripping out your front lawn and your back lawn because you've already done it over a period of time. You already have all the knowledge. And now, hopefully you even have fewer worries as a, pepper, a prepper because you've taught all your neighbors how to do this as well. And so you don't have to worry about people coming in and trying to, to steal your crops because everybody you know is doing the same thing. Good points. Good points. Yeah. Start now. That's the, that's the key. All right. Well, listen, I, I try to end every uh, interview with this one question. If you were sitting across the table from someone, you're drinking a beer, drinking coffee, and you wanted to share something very important that you have, uh, your, your knowledge personally that you have learned, 
let's say about gardening or, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, what would you say to that person right now? But I approach gardening with the general philosophy that, that you treat all of it as a system. It's going to be hard. You have to learn how to do it. You're going to make mistakes along the way. Learn from those mistakes. Find what's working right and keep doing that. Discover what's working wrong and stop doing that. And then learn something new and try that something new. And if it works, great. Now you add that to your list of the things that you're going to keep doing. If it doesn't work, figure out why. Change it. Try something new. And you keep doing this, and ultimately, through all those mistakes, all those errors, all of the pain and the hardship, because you will be sore and you will be tired and you will be sweaty when you get into gardening, ultimately, you're going to have that harvest. And there are few things as wonderful as going out and picking a warm tomato in the hot summer sun and just eating it right there in the garden. It makes all of it worthwhile. And that's why I say it's a philosophy because I try to live my life the same way. You know, if you approach life with just one lesson at a time, just moving forward, trying something new, Ultimately, you're going to get to that point where you can just sit back and enjoy it. And, and that's where I'm at at my time of life is, is sitting back, enjoying the grandkids, seeing my kids doing some of the same mistakes that I made. They've got to learn themselves. But I can sit back and enjoy it. And often I'm in my garden sitting back, looking around me to see what I built what I accomplished, how I'm enjoying it, and life is good because my garden is good. And at the end of all my videos, I end them with enjoy gardening because ultimately, yes, it can be about food for your family, but you should be enjoying it because if you enjoy what you're doing, you're going to do it better. And if you do it better, you're going to have better results. So, Enjoy gardening as you get into it, as you learn it, and realize it's hard. You're going to make mistakes, but at the end, oh, man, it's wonderful. That's a good word, Scott. Real good word. So I, I have a feeling you're going to have a, a lot of new viewers to your, uh, to your videos over on YouTube from Prepper Website and the Prepper Website Podcast. So how can people find you if they wanted to connect with you online? Well, I appreciate that. And uh, my website, my YouTube channel, my Facebook, my Twitter, they, they are all Gardener Scott. And so a simple search of Gardener Scott should, should probably give you a lot of ways to, to find your way into my gardening world. I have a lot of videos that are ranking number one. So uh, just get out there and start doing some searches for what you want to do, and you might stumble across one of my, my videos in particular. I should hit, this is crazy to me, I should hit 100,000 subscribers tomorrow. Wow. So the channel is exploding because there's a lot of people out there, not just preppers, but a lot of people that are interested in gardening. So that's why I say a lot of my videos are ranking very highly if you do a search. But Look for Gardener Scott 
I try to answer every question that I can. I, I really do want to help gardeners become better gardeners. So uh, look at Gardener Scott, ask me your questions along the way, and we'll establish this online relationship. And I look forward to, to you, Todd, and all the rest becoming part of the Gardener Scott community. Well, uh, definitely, and hopefully our listeners and our, our viewers will uh, get you over that, that hump tomorrow and, uh, and be a part of, of that, getting you to the 200,000 mark. So definitely you do Thanks. put out a lot of great stuff. And so I do encourage everyone to go check out your YouTube channel. So uh, any last things, anything you want to say here as we close out? Um, no, I'll actually throw the kudos back to you because uh, I, I like your approach to gardening as well. You know, the, the information that, that you're gleaning from the internet and sharing with your listeners is good information. One of the reasons I got into making the videos is because there's just the bad information out there. So based on what I've seen on, on your uh, information that you're spreading on your site and your podcast, I'll let your listeners know that, that you're passing some good information. So keep on listening because I think it all will be beneficial. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciated it. God bless. Well, Scott, once again, thank you so much for that interview and taking time to come on the Prepper Website podcast. What a great interview and a lot of great information, guys. I hope you think so, too. And I hope you click on the links in the show notes to go check out his YouTube videos and also his website. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 637. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on the 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.